0: Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 12 in the cafe. God bless all of you. You're going to have a great morning. You're going to have a great night tonight in the cafe, 6 o'clock. Special baptism, prayer service, worship service. Don't miss that, any of us. Just try to be there tonight. It's going to be a really, really good good night. Tomorrow night's Christmas Eve. Don't forget Christmas Eve services. I love the next 24, 48 hours. And I especially love it as a church. I love being your pastor. I love what we're going to be able to walk through in the next few days. It's exciting. Uh, the sermon title today is facing the music from a series called Riches to Rags, talking about riches to rags. We're used to rags to riches stories because that's how we think. Uh, we love to move up. We love to get the best, be the best, be at the highest point. We love to get promotions and raises. Uh, moving up always sounds right to us. Moving down always seems somehow Uh, inappropriate. It seems like failure, but Jesus came down to us at Christmas. That's the point. It's upward mobility in the kingdom of God. It's downward mobility that Jesus models and leads us toward. It's very, very difficult for us to understand. We like the best the other day, I got a really, really, I mean, really good parking place at the mall. It was like a Christmas miracle. It was a really good place. And I went and I did my stuff, which didn't take long at all. I came back out and I thought, man, I just, I want to find something else to do at the mall because I don't want to give up this parking place. You know, I had, because like, I'm going to lose it next time. I'll be at the end of the parking lot, you know, walking, you know, it's just that idea that I got the best, I got a better parking place than everybody else. I want to hang on to that. But that's not the way of Christ. You don't hang on to things, you give things away. Christmas is a time for joy. And I'm telling you, a great parking place, it just doesn't last, so it can't really bring you joy. So what does bring you joy? Now, one of my favorite theologians, Buddy the Elf says, the best way to spread Christmas is to sing loud for all to hear. I'm looking at your faces, y'all need it. So let's try it. Ready, ready? Let's just do it. Uh, name a song. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle. Come on, all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Come on now. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Over the fields we go, laughing all the way. (laughs) Ha, 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 bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. It worked for some of you. It did not work for everybody. Christmas songs are great, but but honestly, they've been playing them on the radio since September. And I'm kind of getting over them. I don't know if Buddy had it all together when he said the best way to spread Christmas cheer. I don't know if the music always does it. And once you've lost someone dear to you, the very sound of Christmas songs can make the water rush to your eyes. Presents, though. Presents. I love presents. I mean, y'all, I'm crazy about presents. We actually did Christmas at our house yesterday, which is kind of awesome. But before yesterday, I really didn't know. Actually, I knew I would, but there were no presents under the tree for me. Not one. Now, Casey had presents under the tree for the simple reason that I shopped for Casey. And I wrapped presents. And I mean, I put my whole heart into it. I will wrap a Christmas present like, like one of those parade floats. I mean, I would put bells and bows and live animals. I mean, I'd do everything, and I'm sometimes. So it looked like phew, just a Christmas miracle under the tree. For Casey, I had nothing, nothing under the tree. Now, but Casey's been married to me 30 years. y'all know why I had nothing under the tree? I can't be trusted. <laughs> Anybody else like this? Y'all, I'm a 53 year old man. You would think I wouldn't be like this, but if there's a present under the tree for me, I'm going to peek. And by peak, I mean, you know, pick it up, shake it, get in Casey's purse and look for receipts. (laughs) Look at the checkbook. I have been known in years past to open them, play with them and rewrap them. (laughs) Not lately, honey, not not lately, but I have done that. My sister taught me to do that a long time ago. Y'all ever done that? You just sort of open up the end, And sometimes, kids don't do this, don't do this. But if you open the end and look, sometimes it's on the end of the box what it is, which is awesome. If not, then you have to go to like the second level of unwrapping and unwrap it. But if you know how to wrap y'all, I mean, and so, yeah, I'm I'm that person. And I'm also like really smart. So if I pick up a package, I can shake it and go, socks. Or I can say, it's that book, 17 syllables, I don't want It's the book, 17 syllables. You know, I, I can like tell you not just a book, but which book, which Casey hates. And so that's the reason why there are never any presents for me under the tree until Santa Claus comes and, 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 and then presents. Um, even, I have to admit, when you already know what you're gonna get, it takes some of the joy out of it. So there are lots and lots of Christmases where I already know where I'm getting, but when I open it, I have to go, Whoa, whoa, I never expected that, you know? <laughs> you know, I've been playing with it the night before or wearing it, but you know, Oh, you know? Something about joy, it always sort of comes by surprise. If you see it coming, it's not joy, it's something else. Joy has a way of, of catching you off guard. It's when it comes unexpected. So all of the best gifts are the ones that come and you did not see them coming. This is why we wrap presents in the first place, people. Now, my wife, you wouldn't have to wrap it. I could sit it under the tree, open in a Target bag and she would not look. She would not look. I don't understand what's wrong with her. She would not look. She would not look. But, you know, that's the point. We wrap presents so that in the moment of receiving the gift, there's surprise, there's a hiddenness, that there's there's an ability to be be taken by uh, surprise, to be unexpectedly blessed with something wonderful. You understand? So the best gifts always come, always come unexpectedly like Christmas and like salvation, which brings us to Isaiah chapter 12. This is a very familiar chapter to read during Advent, to read at Christmas, because this is a song of praise, a song of joy, a song of salvation, and it's just so good. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. If this chapter does not describe something deeply true about your own soul, then you need to take a long look at your soul. You with me? Because if this chapter doesn't yet describe something true uh, An experience out of your own life Then it's really not too late for you to have the best Christmas ever You know what I'm talking about? Listen, Isaiah chapter 12 verse 1 In that day you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord You were angry with me, but not anymore Now you comfort me See, God has come to save me I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. I love that. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. That's a verse about being thirsty. That's a verse about being deeply, deeply thirsty and then deeply, deeply satisfied with a drink of water like you've never, ever tasted before. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day, you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name. Tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with joy. For great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. What? He lives among you. He lives among you. Is he doing among us? There's an old phrase called facing the music. It's time for you to face the music. Yeah. What does that phrase mean? Face the music. You're going to have to face the music. Look like she's going to have to go face the music. What do we mean by that? It's never good. Let's just admit that. That doesn't even sound good. I like music, but somehow when you say, boy, by the time for you to face the music, you've just made me worry about music. What's it mean to face the music? It's time for you to accept the consequences, something like that. It's time for you to see what the outcome is for the choices you've made. It's time for you to face the music. Yeah, it it can be good. We're not exactly sure where this phrase comes from. Some people think it comes from the military, from, from the army, where in the old days when a soldier was discharged disgracefully, He was ordered to evacuate, to leave his platoon. But when he would leave, there would be a cadence, played a drum cadence, a dramatic, awful cadence, and the soldier would walk away in shame. Some people say that was facing the music. You faced the music when you were ejected from the group with shame. Face the music. Nobody really knows if that's true. That's one idea. Other people say it's got to do with the theater. Y'all ever been to a play or some sort of performance with an orchestra? Uh, there's the stage where the actors and actresses perform, and then there's the audience, but then in between the stage and the audience, there's the orchestra pit where the musicians are. And the idea is when you're on stage, you're supposed to face the audience, face the music. So the idea is that, that maybe the phrase face the music comes from the stage where actors and actresses, when they were petrified with with, with fright, standing in front of the audience, having to to sit up and perform. Anybody ever have performance anxiety? Anybody ever have stage fright? The idea is you just gotta stand there and face the music. You stand in the direction of the musicians and you have to make sure the show goes on. You understand? But you're facing the music. You're facing your fear. Still, that doesn't sound like anything good. Face the music. Isaiah chapter 12 is a song, and it's time for God's people to face the music. Understand? However, when they face the music of their souls, when they face the music of this God that they have forgotten, this God that they have abandoned, this God they have betrayed, they... Expecting the worst. Remember, facing the music just never sounds good. It means you have to face the outcome of the choices you've made. It means you have to face the consequences of what you've done. Facing the music is not exactly what God's people want to do at this point. They expect that God is angry. They expect that their sin, their rebellion, they expect that this has kindled God's wrath, and it has. They expect that when God comes, It's going to be a day of reckoning, a day of facing the music, and it's going to be a song of condemnation. It's going to be a song of damnation. It's going to be a song of punishment. Have you ever had to prepare for the worst? Ever been expecting the worst? Awful feelings, facing the music, waiting for the hammer to fall, waiting for the bad news to come, Facing the music. But have you ever been prepared for the worst, but the worst is not what you get? Have you ever prepared yourself for the worst and then all of a sudden, something more amazing than you ever imagined is what you get? Have you ever faced the music and had a song like this? One day uh, back, I guess it was earlier this year, There was a couple from our church. I can say their names. I got their permission. It's Brittany and Seth. They're getting married in this room on Saturday, y'all. They're getting married on Saturday. Brittany played the piano today. Where's Brittany? Yeah, where'd she go? Yeah, way in the back. There's Brittany. Seth is in the booth. Where you'll be next week celebrating your honeymoon. It's every young man's dream to get married and then be in the booth the the following day. But Brittany and Seth were dating. It was a Sunday And things weren't going well. You ever have one of those days with your boyfriend, girlfriend, where it's just, you know, it's not going well. And it was one of those Sundays for them. Uh, Brittany says that on that particular day, it was just sort of, you know, they were sort of at each other. And it just seemed weird. And Seth seemed weird. Seth seemed off. and, And it sort of started to worry Brittany. You know, this isn't good. This doesn't feel right. They came to church. But after church, they drove off together. Seth drove into town, parked the car, and they got out. He had something to tell her. Okay, Brittany said she prepared for the worst. Again, it's not been a good day. They've kind of been at each other all day, and Seth's been weird, really weird. And so she just said to herself, he's about to break up with me. He's brought me out here. He's he's about to break up with me. So he walked out from the car, and they got to one place, and Brittany just took a deep breath, you know, expecting the worst. And at that moment, Seth reached in his pocket. Took out a ring, dropped to his knee, and he said, Will you love me forever? Isn't that awesome? That's just awesome. She thought he was gonna break up. They were there at the waterfront by the river. She thought that he'd kill her and then throw her body in the water, you know? I mean, it was like one of those days, but nothing like that. A ring dropped to one knee. Will you love me forever? It's amazing. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life? When you expected the worst and you prepared for the worst? Have you ever come out of cancer surgery and wait for the surgeon to come in and tell you whether or not it's in your lymph nodes? Because that's one of the hardest moments of your life. Have you ever heard him say, no chemo? Because that's pretty awesome. You're preparing for the worst, but then you hear something that's so much better than you ever imagined. Have you ever had a moment like that? Because sometimes you think the hammer's gonna fall. Sometimes you're gonna face some music and you think this is gonna be the song of your death. But all of a sudden, the music starts to play and it's a song more beautiful than you've ever thought or imagined. And that day you will sing. I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. See, there's this amazing change that's happened in this relationship. The people have known God and God has known them, but in the past, God was angry and they were afraid. Afraid. Now, the scripture says plainly that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We're not talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about fear of punishment. We're talking about fear of condemnation. We're talking about fear of what happens next. And the people are literally afraid, afraid for God to come, afraid to face the music of their lives because God was coming and they feared that God would come to judge. They feared that God would come to condemn. They feared that when God would come, it would be the end of everything. But God did not come that way. Do you not understand? This is the story of Christmas. Isaiah 12 is a chapter we read during Christmas because this is exactly what God has done. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Wait, what? Shall not perish. you understand? That's what was going to happen before he came. That's what would happen before his love came to save us. It was perishing that we had to look forward to. It's all that we knew. That our sin meant that God's wrath was kindled against us. That we did not have salvation in our future. We had condemnation in our future. But Jesus comes and everything changes. Everything changes. You are angry with us, but not anymore. Now you come to comfort me. See, God has come To save me, I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He's given me victory. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. I I worry about you. I I worry about you. Because the music of this passage doesn't seem to stir a lot of joy in you. I can see your faces. Is there something wrong with you? Is there something missing? When the verse says, with joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation, do you know what that means? Do you know what that says? Have you ever experienced anything like that? I'm asking you a real question. I know you come to church and I know that that is supposed to indicate that you have some sort of relationship with God, but I'm not necessarily jumping to that conclusion. Walking in this church doesn't automatically make you a Christian. Any more than walking into McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You understand? There's a transformation that must take place. And this chapter talks about that transformation. It's a change in relationship between you and the God who has made you. And the change in that relationship leaves a person in a very different state. No longer are you afraid of God. No longer do you fear punishment. Do you understand? Now it's just simply joy. With joy, you drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In other words, this is about thirst. It's about longing. It's about finally, finally founding the source of what it is that you've always been thirsty for. What's always been missing from your life. It's got something to do with Joy. Where is your joy? The amazing thing about the chapter is where it goes from there. That amazing personal experience of recognizing that the God who had every, every righteous, righteous reason to condemn you for eternity, this God instead comes to save you. This God who could come to drop the hammer on you, instead he comes to embrace you with his love. He comes to die for you, to himself pay the penalty for your sin. This is what he's done for you. And what he does brings joy to your heart. And after that happens, something sort of kicks in. It changes the way you live in the world. It changes the way you think about everything. Notice what happens next. In that wonderful day, you will sing. Thank the Lord, praise his name. Tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord for his wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Do you see how that... Experience makes a person go from something very private to something very public. There is this drinking deeply from the waters of salvation and having your heart changed and filled with joy. But after that happens, it's the thing about joy, it loves to be shared. Love wants to be shared. Joy wants to be shared. Joy doesn't go sit in a corner and giggle to itself. Do you understand? Joy always somehow explodes. Joy somehow always rushes out. If you've got a story to tell that's wonderful and joyful, you wanna tell it. You wanna keep that to yourself. Joy somehow gets doubled, tripled, quadrupled, multiplied every time you share it with somebody else. That's why when you're really, really excited, you throw a party. Joy longs to be shared. I would go so far to say that when joy is not shared, it's diminished. It's just diminished. You got good news and you keep it to yourself, it gets diminished. You're putting the fire of your own joy out. Do you not understand? Your life was a mess, your life was a wreck. And God has thrown a grenade of joy into your life. It blows up everything. It changes everything. And after that point, you've got a story to tell. I want to go tell everybody what wonderful things he's done for me. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Salvation brings joy. But then salvation itself puts you in the world in a different sort of place. With a different sort of perspective. You want people to know. Not just about you. It's not about you. It's not even about the joy that you found it's just simply that if I found this kind of joy I would want other people to know that joy too I want you to know the joy Where's your joy The old folks used to say this joy that I have the The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. You know what that means? That means that the joy stays, even if you don't get a good parking place at the mall. You don't turn into that, you know, horn honking, cussing freak at everybody. You understand? The joy that the Lord gives, it can't be taken away by circumstances. And it's not going to be found in a box wrapped under your tree the day after tomorrow. It's not going to happen. It's not like that. It's not found by singing loud for all to hear. It doesn't work that way. It happens when your relationship with the God who made you is eternally altered by his goodness, by his grace. And that's going to set you alive with joy. A, A joy that longs to be shared. A joy that no longer just looks at itself, lives within itself. It's a joy that just longs to give and share so that everybody else can know the joy. elderly lady named Elsie. She had a grandson named Dale. (coughs) Elsie was one of those grandmas who sort of raised her grandson because her own son was not a good father. She took Dale to church. She taught him about Jesus. Elsie would sit on the edge of his bed at night and read the Bible and pray with him as he would go to sleep. I mean, that's the way she raised him. She raised him in church and Bible school. But it did not take. It looked like Dale was going to be just like his daddy. As Dale grew older, he just became one of those guys who would take and he took from everybody. I don't just mean steal, he would steal, but he was just that person who was always looking for what he could get from other people. Elsie would beg him to go to church with her. He would just laugh at her. Church was for old ladies and crazy people in Dale's mind. Dale's life spiraled more and more and more in the wrong direction. He started asking for money from his grandma more and more and more and more. And literally she gave him everything she had. Literally, she had nothing left. One Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas Eve, he came to his grandma and said, grandma, I need $200. I need $200, grandma, if you'll just give me $200, you won't have to give me anything for Christmas. That'll just be my Christmas present. And you won't have to give me anything for long. I won't ask again for a long time, but 200, I need $200. And Elsie just said, Dale, I don't have it. I I don't have anything else to give you. And then she, uh, she remembered that she had a watch on her, on her wrist. It had belonged to her husband who had died eight years ago. And she'd worn it every single day and night, day and night. She wore the watch that belonged to her husband. And she just took it off of her wrist and handed it to Dale. It's the last thing she had. You understand? The last thing she had to give. She gave them watch. Dale took it and left. But he came back. He came back Christmas Eve and he walked in grandma's door and he walked over to grandma and he just handed her back the watch. Gave her back the watch. Elsie said, Dale, I thought you needed the money. I I thought you needed that. I I gave that to you because you said you needed it. Dale said, Grandma, I've decided that I do not need Granddaddy's watch. I've, I've decided what I need is whatever it is in you that made you willing to give me Granddaddy's watch. I need whatever it is in you that makes you willing to give me granddaddy's watch. That's the night Dale found Jesus. Do you understand anything that this psalm talks about? Do you understand what it is to trust and, and, and not simply be afraid of facing the Lord God who made you? When you face the music of your own life, what kind of song do you hear? And that day you will sing. I will praise you, O oh Lord. You are angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory with joy. You will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. I I guess one of of your two things is possible for you today, either in your heart, is this deep thirst. It's a sense that something is missing. I don't know how you experience it. In our day and age, for a lot of people, it's just boredom. It's, it's just this mind numbing boredom. Nothing is ever enough, nothing ever satisfies. No matter what you get, under the tree at Christmas, it will not satisfy you. It will not light you up. You thought it would make you very, very happy. It's never what you expect. And in your life, everything is like that. And and you can be very, very critical. You've learned to be very critical and you've learned to keep your expectations very, very low so that you don't have to live with any disappointment. You've just learned to live this way. So you no longer expect much out of life. You don't expect much out of people. You thought that another marriage would make you happy, but marriage never works out, it never makes you happy. You thought that having a baby would make you happy, but your kids are not exactly filling you up either. Do you never really understand that this thirst in your heart is not gonna be quenched by anything you find on this earth? So either there is the thirst or there is the the deep joy, the satisfaction that, that, that gives you a different sort of perspective on life, on God. It it, it gives you this, this heart full of joy, this heart full of praise. It doesn't mean that your whole life is easy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're always thanking and praising God for all, every sort of thing. Because honestly, sometimes that's just hard. But it does just mean that no matter what, at the very bottom of everything else, there is this joy, this satisfaction, this contentment, this faith, hope, and love. That nothing in this world can take away from you. It's joy, it's joy, true joy. I, I worry, I worry about some of you because in church, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I just wonder where your joy I want you to understand the true blessing of Christmas, that the God, who is the righteous judge, knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all of your words, all of your deeds, every evil intention of your heart. He knows you. And you know what you deserve from him. You know that you deserve his wrath, his anger. You know that you've lived your whole life as if he didn't matter at all. The God maker of everything you live as if he doesn't even exist. And then finally, when he comes, finally, when he comes, you, you probably must prepare for the worst because you've got nothing to look forward to. You've suddenly realized that this God who you would have thought would come to judge you, would have thought he come to condemn you, he has only come to save you. Deserve the worst. He offers you the best. Maybe lots and lots of years have gone by. Lots of Christmases have gone by and you've never really gotten it. So I want you to know it's not too late for this Christmas. It's not too late. But you're going to have to look elsewhere for your salvation. You have to look elsewhere for your joy. It's not going to be in anything on this earth. You're not going to think your way. You're not going to doubt your way. You're just not going to. Somehow, when you're way through this, there's only one way to find the joy that your heart craves. And his name is Jesus. He has come to save you. And when you realize that and experience that, the music of your life will become a joyful song of salvation. The world is waiting to hear you sing it. Pray with me. God, for church people, we sure walk around in the world with awful long faces and awful bitter hearts. For people who are supposed to be drinking deeply from the fountain of salvation, Lord, we... We seem to be so stingy, so quick to anger, so slow to forgive. For people who are supposedly finding the source of faith and hope and love, Lord, we seem so full of doubt, so fragile in our hope, so iffy with our love. God, there is something off with us and it is with us, oh God, you are perfect and you keep all of your promises and you continue to wait, knocking on the door of our hearts and all you want to give us is a gift of joy. God, for whatever reason, we refuse to open the door to you. For whatever reason, we continue to shut you out, Lord. All you ever want to do is simply give us the gift of salvation. Give us a drink of the fountain of joy, Lord. All you've ever wanted to do was bless us. Oh God, would you stir this thirsting in our hearts, Lord? Will you remind us, Lord, how empty our lives are without you, Lord? Will you remind us, Lord, that you've come to save us, to love us, to bless us? And would you give us grace today, Lord Jesus, grace to fall down before you and allow you, Lord Jesus, to change these hard, bitter hearts into hearts of joy. God, it would take a miracle. Some of our hearts are so hard. Some of us, Lord, we've been this way a long, long time. It would take a miracle to swap out our bitterness and and turn it into joy, to take away our guilt and turn it into grace. It would take a miracle. But, oh, God, you are the God for whom all things are possible. It is possible for you to put joy in these hearts. If only we will give you our hearts. Help us, Lord Jesus, to find our way to the manger, to find our way to the cross, to find our way to the place where you have come for us, that we might drink deeply from the waters of salvation and find true joy. Pray these things in the name of the Savior, Jesus. Amen.